this is Hope Community Church. Uh, we are packing all of the boxes, Hope for Watoto Christmas boxes, onto the container out there. We're going to be shipping them over. They should arrive March or April. This has been an amazing experience for Hope Community Church. Over 3,000 boxes for moms and children. Everybody in Watoto is going to get a Christmas box from Hope Community Church. Watoto, we love you. We love you. Come visit us soon. Hey, Bira, we love you guys. We'll be seeing you soon. That is so cool. We had over 300 people come out to sort through all the bus, all the boxes and get them ready to go. There were some things that were inappropriate. You probably don't want to send kids living in Uganda. The Hunger Games about kids being hunted down, you know, that's not really big when you've been a child soldier. So we had to take out some stuff like that, get them all ready, ship them up. And then we had a great group that came in and loaded them into the trailer. And that's the video that we're sending with the gifts. And I want to give yourself a hand for all of your hard work. And that, that was not easy to do, and uh, you did a great job. And uh, while you're clapping, give a warm hope welcome to Mr. Jim Hawking, not a stranger to us here at Hope, here visiting this weekend. And Jim, we also have some special guests over here. We, we didn't give them a microphone because they look scary, you know, that hair and stuff. So to introduce our guests. These are my friends. Uh, they're from Warsaw, Indiana now. Uh, they don't originally. That's why they got all that fur. It's cold up there. And uh, this is Kyle over here and Paul, and they work for Mudlove. These guys give ICDI 20% of everything they sell. So whenever you buy something from them, uh, we win. It's a win all the way around. And, and I want you to meet these guys, but uh, they have a business. They, they work with pottery. They, 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 but everything begins with clay, and they make not only pottery, they make cool little bracelets like this when mine says hope. They gave it to me at lunch today. But everything they make, now this is what's so cool. Before they started the business, this is what they said. God, everything we make is going to go back into your kingdom, right? And Jim happens to be the recipient of that. But you know what they, they were saying today? It's almost magical how God has blessed us. It doesn't make any sense that something as simple as little clay things, pottery, can be making such a difference in the kingdom. And it's not magic. They know that. It's a biblical principle. God says, you let me partner with you, I'm going to do incredible things because I can trust you with what I give you. And some of you knuckleheads are going to get that one of these days. But these young guys figured it out early. We want to thank you for what, they're going to be at the Raleigh campus. They're going to be out in the atrium. You want to stop by and see the things that they have. And if you buy anything from them it's going to make a difference in the world but check them out after the service thank you guys for being here all right we'll talk to you guys later now back to you mr jim thank you guys great great christian guys are great christian guys uh jim um god's kind of shut the door right now in the congo and uh we like to keep our heads on not have them blown off and so we've decided it's it's not the best time for us to go things aren't quite ready there so what's next for icdi for hope community church what, what's next on the agenda well number one we haven't given up we're still, we still got two men working over there, giving us reports, keeping uh, in touch with what's going on there. But we do got to wait a while. And um, it's frustrating for me. I'm a on the ground, do it kind of guy, so it's been frustrating. But we are looking, and uh, we do have our sights set on perhaps working in South Sudan. And you know about South Sudan. Yeah, this is so cool because when Jim and I were talking on the phone, I said, Jim, we were thinking about South Sudan totally independent of each other, and I think God's got something brewing there. But anyway. I really do. We work with a partner um, called Never Thirst, a very good fundamental Christian partner that works there, having trouble really getting good partners to drill wells there. They ask us if we could give them a hand and help them out. And I said, well, it's a long ways away, but uh, let's look into it. 
So we've talked to our donor who has given us uh, some drill rigs and he's interested in it. So we've got to make a trip over, take a look at it, see what's going to happen and we'll be, we'll be back. So keep praying for us. Uh, these are hard changes, but we know they're important and we know that God, God's timing is best. Now I know you were passing through this weekend and, and the timing just kind of worked out, but we're taking our big Christmas mission offering this weekend. These guys can hardly, they're so excited, they're not even going to be able to listen. They want to give so bad, they can't wait for the end of the service. But uh, look in the faces, Jim. You know, if they can come through, right, we're talking of giving you thousands and thousands of dollars as a Christmas gift because we know that when we entrust it to you, good things are going to happen in the kingdom. How are you going to use it? What's some ideas you have? Well, if they give. If? If. Oh, yeah. I got some, I'm suspicious of a few of them. But anyway, the rest of them look pretty good. Go ahead. What, what would you do with it? Are you done now? I'm done. <laughs> are we okay? We're good. Okay. Okay. We have some incredible teams out there you know about our maintenance teams and they're traveling all over the central african republic trying to keep the pumps going this is something i have not been able to really help the organizations that help drill the wells really understand they, they got to keep it going we've got to help those those villages understand how they can do a better job of handling their finances or economics so when you give this sunday saturday and sunday <laughs> When you give, you're going to help us be able to help 600,000 people in 1,200 villages be able to have drinking water because we have a plan to be able to work with those villages all year long, help them understand how they can grow more crops, how they can have better nutrition and have water flowing 24-7. And when they can trust us and they see, experience the generosity, it's a real easy conversation to have about how Jesus Christ can change their lives. It really is, and we're doing more orality training. We're doing lots of different things with these villages, helping them understand who Jesus really is. Thank you for being here. He'll be in the atrium afterwards. Make sure you stop by and say hi to Jim. He is a true hero in the world that we live in. Now, have you ever noticed that when, uh, when, when someone in authority over you uh, get, you get word that they want to talk to you, how you automatically assume it's the worst, right? You, got, you just kind of assume it's bad news. Let me give you an example. You go out to your mailbox, you notice you got a, a letter from the IRS. You don't exactly gather the family around and say, hey, kids, gather around. It's a letter from the IRS. Let's open it together. You don't do that, do you, right? Or when you go to, you go to work and you get an email from your boss who says that he wants to talk to you, what, what's the first thing you think about? You think, man, it's, it's got to be bad. Or, you know, if you're growing up and your dad says, we need to talk, what's the first thing you ask him? Am I in trouble? You don't ask, hey, are you giving me money? Have I been good? The first thing you say, am I in trouble? That's just, that's just kind of the way it is. If they're in authority over us. And do you remember when you were in school and maybe you were sitting in class and, and over the loudspeaker, remember that, uh, Miss Smith, yes, would you please send Mike Lee to the office? Now, I know that happened to you as much as it happened to me, right? Would you please send Mike Lee to the office? What's the first thing you began to think about when that came over the loudspeaker? The first thing was all the things you'd done wrong, right? And second, how in the world did they find out so fast, right? And, and, and do you remember what everybody else in the class did when they said, could you please send Mike Lee to the office? Let's do it together. What did the class do? Ooh, see, yeah, see, it's a universal response, right? I don't know where that came from. You know, I don't know if it has to do with how we're raised. I don't know if it has to do with the churches we grew up in, but it is a universal thing. Here's the problem. Somewhere along the line, we've attached that same reaction, that same response to God. And I think part of the reason that, that we feel that way toward God is, well, we know that he's perfect and, and we're not. 
You know, we know that God is everything that we're not. We know that we're never going to measure up to his standards. We're never going to meet his expectations. So if we were to go to the mailbox and, and see that we had a letter from God, you know, our natural reaction would be, this can't be good news, right? Or if we looked on our phone and we had a text from God that says, I want to meet you next Tuesday for lunch, we would begin to rehearse all the things that we've done wrong. It must be why God wants to meet with us, right? And it's because we're pretty sure any news that comes from God has to be bad news because we've been bad, right? Uh, do you remember the story of Samuel? How many of you guys went to Sunday school? Remember going to Sunday school? There's the three of us. That's awesome. Uh, Sunday school, man, you are a heathen crowd. Sunday school, Sunday school is where you go sit in the class and there's teachers. It's kind of boring. But anyway, uh, they used to tell us the story of Samuel. And Samuel was born to Hannah. God said, give me a child. I'll give him back to you. So Hannah had a little baby. She named him Samuel. It's where we get the whole idea of baby dedication. I'll, I'll give him back to you. And sure enough, Samuel, when he was old enough, went to live with the high priest Eli, right? And he's getting trained, groomed to be in full-time ministry type thing. And so one night he's in bed. And he's he's kind of, you know, kind of bunked down in bed. And, and he's asleep. And, he's, and he hears, Samuel. He wakes up. And he assumes Eli called him, right? So he goes into Eli's bedroom and he says, yeah, Eli, what do you want? Eli says, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So Samuel goes back to bed and falls back to sleep. And a few minutes later, Samuel. Samuel perks up and he runs back into Eli's room. And he says, hey, it wasn't me. But listen, next time you hear someone call you, say, here I am, Lord, your servant heareth. Okay, heareth. King James is all we kind of had back when I was a kid. Your servant heareth, right? Now, let me just say something. If that happened to me as a kid, if God spoke to me out loud in the middle of the night, I promise you, I'm 56 years old. I'm still sleeping in the bed with my parents. You know what I'm saying? That is scary stuff. I mean, if God has to speak to you out loud, there's no way in the world that can be good. But this is what I want us to try to understand this weekend. The message of the Christmas story, when you think about it, it should erase that kind of thinking. What I mean by that is if we really, really understood the Christmas story, if we really embraced the Christmas story, we would no longer interact with God based on our fear and based on our guilt. If we got an envelope from God, we wouldn't be afraid to open it. We wouldn't be afraid to show up at the meeting. In fact, if God called your name in the middle of the night, you would be thrilled. And the reason you would be thrilled is because you would just automatically assume it's from God. It must be good news, not bad news. But again, all of this is dependent on you understanding this Christmas story. And this is what's so weird. This is the irony. We know the Christmas story. We know it backwards and forwards. And, and in fact, not only do we know the story, many of us have acted, actually acted it out. I mean, how many of you ever had to be in like the Christmas play? You remember those days? I'll never forget I had to be a shepherd one year. And it was my bathrobe, and I, I forgot to take my socks off. I was wearing bright red socks and a bathrobe, and my parents were so humiliated. But how many ever had to be a shepherd, right? How about an angel? Anybody ever have to be an angel? How about a donkey? Well, that's the typecasting. Okay, but anyway, it, this isn't a new story. For some of you sitting here, this might be the only story in the Bible that you can confidently say, I know that story. But even though we know the story, even though we've heard it over and over again, even though we've even acted it out, What's amazing is we still don't get it. The message of the Christmas story continues to elude us. So this weekend, this weekend, I want us to look at the story that we know from top to bottom, inside and out. And this is what I want to see. I want to see if maybe it'll finally click in our lives, right? Because if it clicks in our lives, 
It's going to change our lives. Now, if you have your Bible, let's go over to Luke chapter 2. That's the most familiar version of the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2. And understand as we look over at Luke chapter 2, this is a time in history when life was really, really hard for the Jews. And the reason that life was so hard for the Jews is the Jews have been living under Roman rule, Roman authority, the boot of Rome, for 40 years. And because of that, they had no voice in the government. For 40 years, they've been overtaxed. Uh, there's a lot of financial uncertainty. They probably had their own fiscal cliff that they were dealing with. On top of that, the religious system of the day had fallen apart. A lot of the priests had sided with Rome. It was almost the attitude, if you can't beat them, join them. So you're looking at this, there was, there was confusion politically. There was confusion socially. There was confusion spiritually and financially. I mean, does it sound familiar? And the Jews were saying, God, you've been really, really quiet for the last 40 years. Where are you in all of this? And in the midst of all of this chaos, God finally breaks the silence. And he gives to us the best news we could ever possibly receive. Let's just read the story beginning in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Basically, he wanted to find how many people can we tax. That's what he wanted to find out. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everybody went to his own town to register. In other words, the town you were born in, you had to go back to that town. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. So he's got to make his way to Bethlehem. Just so you know, this is about, it's about a 170-mile journey, okay? Now imagine the conversation he had with Mary. Mary, I don't know if you've heard, but we got to take this journey. And it's 170, and you, I know you're nine months pregnant, and I know that. And I know we're going through dangerous territories, and there are going to be thieves and robbers along the way. I know that, but here's the good news. I'm not going to make you walk. I got you a donkey. I got you a donkey. You're in good hands, right? So anyway, they're heading up, and it says in verse 5, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, they came for the, baby, there came, there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because, very familiar words, there was no room for them in the inn. I mean, it's a great story. But now the next part of the story, it is so familiar to us. We, I mean, most of us quote it. But what I want you to understand is that buried in this scene, this next couple of verses, is a truth. If you can get it from here to here, if you can get it from your head to your heart, it is going to change your whole perspective on God. It is going to change your relationship with God for the rest of your life. Look at verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, okay? They're kind of doing, I guess, every night what we do when you go camping. They're staring up at the stars. They're thinking things like, I feel so small. I wonder if there's life on another planet. Is there really a God? You know, you're just kind of relaxing. The night's going by. And then verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, these are men's men. These are outdoor men, okay? They were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, I need to tell you, just stop right there. I need to tell you the implications of that statement. Basically, this is what the angel was saying to the shepherds. God has a message for you. And the message he has for you, it isn't just good news for good people. It's not just good news for holy people. 
It's not just good news for Jewish people. It's not just good news for perfect people. It's not just good news for people who keep their promises. It's not just good news for people who go to church or people who read their Bible. It's not just good news for good husbands and good wives and good parents. It's good news for all people. It's good news for everybody. In other words, this is what the angel is saying. He's saying this. God has decided on his own to do something that has absolutely nothing to do with anyone's behavior. It's not dependent on whether you're good or bad. It is good news for everyone. In other words, God has decided to do something that violates the law that you live by all of your life. And the law you've lived by all of your life is this. Good things happen to good people. Everybody gets what they deserve. That's what you're used to. The angel says, God has decided to forego all that. This is good news for all people, regardless of how bad they've been or how good they've been. It's for everyone. And because it's for everyone, and it's from God, and it's good news, you don't need to be afraid. Verse 10, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. What was the good news? Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. In other words, 2,000 years ago when God looked down at humanity and he saw the mess that humanity had made of the world, when he saw the evil and the violence, when he saw the confusion and the chaos, when he saw the craziness, this is what God said. Hmm. They don't need a life coach. They don't need a financial advisor. They don't need Dr. Phil and they don't need Oprah. They need a savior. So basically, this is what God said that first Christmas. I am sending someone to the earth to bail you out of the mess, the craziness, the chaos that you're in. And it's gonna be good news for everyone because I'm picking up the tab. It's a gift and it's free. And to be honest with you, therein lies a problem for a lot of us because the reality is we're suspicious of anything that's free. I mean, this goes back to the way our parents raised us. What did our parents teach us? If it sounds too good to be true, it what? It probably is. They taught us free is never free. Get that into your head. If someone says they have something free for you, I guarantee you that there are strings attached. And our parents knew that whenever strings are attached, we always feel like we owe something. We're indebted, right? And we don't like to be in that position where we're indebted. We don't like to be in that position where we feel like we owe someone. We want to pay our own way. We want to stand on our own two feet. We want to make sure that we do our share. And if you don't believe that, just think back to the last time you went to lunch and the person you went to lunch with tried to pick up the check. What was your response? Oh, no, 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 no. Let's split it, right? I'll get it next time. At least let me leave the tip. And you're like that because you're like, I can't just let you buy me a meal. If you buy me a meal, I'm going to feel like I owe you something in return. I'm going to feel indebted to you. You know, I got to do something. Now, this is what's interesting. In the same way, when it comes to our relationship with God, there's just something inside of all of us that wants to, to bring along, you know, kind of our part of the deal. We want to make sure that we're paying our way. And it's because I think we still, you know, we, we think that God still views us through the lens of how good we are. How faithful are you going to be? I think we have this perception that God sits on his throne in heaven and he looks at our life and he says, well, you were good a couple of weeks ago, but what have you done for me lately? That's the way we think, right? Until... You understand the Christmas story because that's the exact, exact opposite of this story. 
Because that first Christmas, understand this is the story of Luke chapter 2. God sent a Savior to this world and God says it is a Savior that's free and available to everyone. Now let me just say something. If you can ever begin to relate and respond to Jesus as a Savior, not just a judge, not just a bully, not just someone who's going to keep you in line. If you can ever begin to relate to him as a savior, it will absolutely transform your perspective of God and your relationship with him. But if you can never, ever get your arms around the fact that you need a savior, then I understand that, that that's kind of threatening. That's kind of scary. What do you mean I need a savior? And if I'm, I'm, nothing's free, what's he going to expect in return? What's he going to do in my life? By the way, that's kind of the way I grew up. I was kind of scared into a relationship with the savior. It wasn't that I wanted a savior. It was like, you better get that savior or you're going to be in big trouble. Right? I mean, this is the kind of messages I heard growing up. God sent us a savior into the world. And if you reject the savior by the time you smell the smoke of hell's fire, it'll be too late. Because you will be strapped into that Ferris wheel of hell and it will go round and round and round that fire forever and ever and ever. And there's going to be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and the worm dieth not. And I didn't know what that meant, but it scared me to death. You know what I'm saying? I need to, I, I, that, you know, kind of scared into that thing, right? And we got to laugh at that, but for some of you, your entire Christian experience has been from the perspective, not that Jesus wants to save you, but that Jesus somehow wants to interfere with your life. It's been from the perspective, he's just kind of we trying to weasel his way in so he can steal all your fun and just kind of mess with all your stuff, right? So for you, the idea of a savior, that's not good news. That's threatening news. That's scary news. I don't know that I want a savior. That's the message I grew up with. I got to tell you, that message could not be more wrong. Because first of all, let me tell you this. Jesus gave you free will. Jesus isn't going to force you into anything. In spite of what you heard, he's not going to set the hounds of heaven after you. Right? He, gives, he respects your right to make a choice. Jesus isn't like that. You know what he's like? He's more like a coach who stands on the sideline. That's more his approach. And he's kind of like, I know you're out there on the field doing your own thing, living your own life, but when you finally get to the point where you realize you need a Savior, I'm right here to help. I'm here to help. I mean, maybe it's when your marriage is absolutely on its last leg and you realize, man, I need a Savior. I can't, I can't save this, right? Or your kids have gone haywire. Maybe that's, or, or maybe your finances hit rock bottom. Or maybe it's when you, you know, you live through the event like something we experienced on Friday and you realize just how fragile this world is. Maybe that's the crossroad. Maybe that's that flashpoint where you realize I need a savior. Or maybe for some, maybe it's when you're on your deathbed and you finally realize, man, all of this stuff I've clung to all of my life, stuff like philosophy, stuff like education, Stuff like humanism, it's just not working. It's not getting me where I want to go. And I'm about to die. I'm going to take my last breath and I'm going to be moving on to whatever is next. And I don't have a clue what that is. And for the first time in my life, I'm afraid. I don't only need a Savior, I want a Savior. You know, whatever it is that gets you to that point, whatever the wake up call is in your life, when you get there, and you realize, here I need a savior. I got nothing to trade. I got nothing to barter with. There's no way that I can earn it. The moment you realize, I don't need another chance. 
I need saving. You got to understand at that moment, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord, he will intersect with your life. But you got to get to the point where you realize on your own, I need a Savior. I want a Savior. And if you're not there yet, I'm just going to give you an early Christmas gift. I'm just going to tell you, okay? You need a Savior. You may not know that yet. You need a Savior. You need saving. And you don't need to be saved just so that you can avoid hell and go to heaven when you die. You need to be saved so that you can live now. And you can't save yourself. In fact, I can prove it. How many of you have something in your life you wish you could be saved from? Okay, maybe a habit. You know, maybe you smoke and you've tried and you know it's not good and you don't want the kids seeing you smoke. But you tried it, you can't save yourself from smoking. Or maybe it's something silly like biting your nails. Or maybe it's something really serious. You can't save yourself from watching Dancing with the Stars. That's serious stuff. You get some help. I'm saying, I'm saying. Or maybe you sniff your fingers. That's right there. That's right there with Dancing with the Stars. Right. How many of you, let's just be honest, this church, okay? How many of you would be honest enough to raise your hand and say, there's something in my life I wish I, wish I could be saved from, right? All right, all right, let's do this then. Good stuff happens at church. Let's do this. I'm going to count to three, and on the count of three, okay, save yourself. Let's just get it over. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. How many? How many it worked? One. One's done. One. But the reality, this proves my point, right? We can't even save ourselves from the mundane day-to-day issues of life. How can we possibly live our lives And not think that we need a Savior, not for just smoking and biting your nails, a Savior for eternity. And I got to tell you, this is where Christianity is so liberating. And most of us have never thought of Christianity as liberating. We think of bondage when you become a Christian. This is where it's so liberating. The relationship between the saved and the saver or the rescued and the rescuer isn't like any other relationship. I mean, it's because when someone comes along and saves you, okay? Let's say that your marriage is a disaster. You're getting ready to get an attorney, split things up. It's going down the toilet. You know that, but you got a friend who will not give up on you. And they come to your house and say, I I was with you. I was in your wedding. I am not giving up on you. In fact, I have found a marriage counselor and I'm gonna pay for the marriage counselor and I'm gonna be here and I'm gonna mediate and I'm not gonna stop praying and I'm not ever gonna give up for you. And all of a sudden, you turn the corner, you get counseling, God begins to work and your marriage is saved, okay? Or maybe you hit rock bottom financially. Maybe you were doing this before the recession, but now you've lost everything and you're thinking about filing bankruptcy and you don't think there is, that you think the world's over you knew it right but somebody comes into your life and says no I'm not gonna let that happen in fact I'm gonna give you the money to pay off your debt and on top of that on top of that you're gonna pay me back because I'm gonna teach you how to be financially responsible I'm gonna teach you how to be a good steward of the resources that God has given you and you're able to write that ship and move forward financially that person saved your life now I'm gonna tell you when that happens there's an automatic response it's called gratitude it's just appreciation I mean, when someone gets that involved in your life, you would follow them anywhere. You would do anything for them. I mean, you're like, here's my email, here's all my phone numbers, call me 24-7 and I'll be there. Why? Why do you feel that way? Because they saved you. See, that's what Jesus wants to do. And that's a lot different than I guess I really ought to have a relationship with God Maybe I should. I guess I have to. I mean, if you think a relationship with God is all about I I ought to or I have to, again, you've missed the message of Christmas. 
You have yet to come face to face with the reality that there is a Savior who wants nothing more than to save you. And when it finally gets from here to here, when it gets from your head to your heart, it will alter your approach to everything that God wants from you, everything that God expects for you. Because now it's changed. It's not what God's trying to do. Now it's in the context of, wait a second. He saved me. He saved me. Of course I'll follow him. Of course I'll be obedient. Of course I'll do whatever he wants me. He saved me. That's a whole lot different than I, than I have to or, or I ought to. Let's go back to the story. Verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then the next part, I love this because if the, if the shepherds aren't scared enough, okay, what are going to Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, look at what they said. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. In other words, for what's about to happen, God's going to get all the glory. He's going to get all the credit, but we also get something. We get peace. Now, this is what I refer to as the unopened gift of Christmas. When we can get our arms around the fact that God sent a Savior into the world and that God sent that Savior and offers salvation to every single person. Now, this is the key part. Regardless of what you have or haven't done, when we accept it in our lives, <clears throat> God gets all the credit, God gets all the glory, in exchange, we get peace. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. And this just kind of... This was God's nugget to me this Christmas. It's because as long as we base our relationship with God on what we've done, what we can do, how much we've served, how much we've given, when we base our relationship with God on what we've done, he gets none of the credit. We get all the credit. But we don't get any of the peace, right? And it's because, I mean, let's just be honest. No matter how good we are, regardless of what's going on in our life, we always, know, we always know we could have done more. We always know we, we, we could have been better, right? We always could look back and say, you know what, I, I could have tried harder. We, we all could have been a better spouse. We could have all been a better parent. We, we could have always given more. We could have always served a little bit more. I mean, there's, all, there's always something that we could dredge up in our mind and conclude, you know what? <sighs> I could have done better at that. I could have done more with that. And if that's the way life is, as a result, if God is going to judge us and relate to us based on what we've done or maybe what we haven't done, that's fearful. Because, I mean, if God's going to relate to us based on what we have or haven't done, at the end of the day, that's probably not going to work out all that great for us. That's why it's only, only when we're able to see that whatever is going on in our life, God gets all the glory. Only when we're able to see that, that we get to experience the peace that's not the fruit of our effort. It's only then that we get to experience the peace that's not the result of what we've done. We've done. We get peace that comes as a result of something that God initiated 2,000 years ago when he sent us a Savior. I want you to notice that last phrase in verse 14. This is the part that blew my mind this week. Glory to God in the highest. And we know this, we've sung it. And on earth, peace to men 
on whom his favor rests. Now, I bet if I went around, I bet there's not five of us who know what that really means because I didn't know. The word favor in the Greek actually means pleasure. This is how you could actually read it. And on earth, peace to men on whom God is pleased. In other words, if we accept the Savior, God gets the glory and then he is pleased with our lives. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. There's some implications here that I, I, I haven't even gotten my arms around yet. And maybe it's the way I was raised. I, I have kind of a tendency to be insecure and things like that. But I will tell you this. I'm your pastor. And I still struggle with the fact that God's favor could rest on me. That his pleasure could rest on me. I still struggle with the fact because I've been so guilt driven all of my life that God could actually be pleased with me. You see, you, th you think you know me. You don't really know me. I mean, I clean up pretty good and I can fool you enough probably so that you'll be pleased with me. Because when it's all said and done, you don't really know me. Now, this is what's so confusing. God knows me. <laughs> Inside and out, top to bottom. And when I think about that, I think how in the world, knowing me the way he knows me, how could he possibly be pleased with me? And I don't think I'm unique, you know. I mean, you're sitting here, you, maybe you're a Christian, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. When you hear that God's favor rests on you, that God is pleased with you, what's the first thing you begin to think about? We, can, we begin to think about, well, let's see. Remember what I did this week, yesterday? We dredge up all the dumb stuff we've done, all the bad stuff we've done, all the mistakes that we've made in our lives. You know, and that's why when I hear that God's favor rests on me, this is seriously, this is, this is my reaction most of the time. <laughs> I don't think so. God pleased with me? I don't think so. God pleased with Laura? Yeah, probably. I mean, the fact that she stayed with me 34 years, next, next, next Tuesday, Saturday night will be our anniversary, 34 years. The fact that she stayed with me 34 years, he's pleased with her. She probably gets extra credit. You know what I'm saying? I, not me. Mm -mm. He's not, he's not, he can't be pleased with me. And it's because we don't understand the Christmas story. See, this is what I learned for the first time this week. God didn't send his son into the world because of us. We've heard that all of our lives. He loved us so. He didn't send his son into the world because of us. Do you know why he sent his son into the world? Because of him. He so desperately wanted to have that fellowship with us. He so desperately wanted to be in a relationship with us. It was because of him. I mean, I hate to break it to you. Some of you, you your little world, you think it revolves totally around you. Wasn't about you. It was all about him. This is all about glory to God in the highest. He gets all the glory. In exchange, we get the peace. And the reason we get the peace is because when we come to him through the Savior, his pleasure, his favor rests on us. He's pleased with us. When's the last time you heard God is your friend. He's your friend. He's going to love you unconditionally. We don't even know how to handle that, right? But I'm telling you, when it gets from our, our head to our heart, the fear can go away. The fear of that interaction with God 
and we get peace. Let me, let me just share a verse with you. I'm going to wrap it up. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love. And what John is basically saying, this is the same John that wrote John 3.16. Later on, he wrote three books when he was banished to the Isle of Patmos. He wrote three books, and he was very creative. He named them 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Okay, this is 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love. And what he's saying is, in a relationship that is characterized by unconditional love, there is no fear. You see, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, the problem with not embracing the Christmas message is that you're always going to be left with fear. And as long as you have fear in your life, you cannot have a love relationship with God. Let me say that again. As long as you are afraid of God, you can't have a love relationship with God. You can like him. You can worship him. You can do some good deeds. You can even give some money. But you and I both know fear and love in a relationship cannot coexist, right? Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. That's the message of Christmas. It's that Jesus came into this world that was full of fear. And as we've been reminded this week, there's a lot of fear in this world. You know why? Because there's a lot of sin in this world. And there's a lot of chaos and confusion. There's a lot of evil in this world. And so God sent his son into the world you know why? So that once and for all, the Savior could drive out the fear between God and man. And we're at peace with God. And all of a sudden, all the best stuff I've done is irrelevant. All the best stuff you've done, it's irrelevant. And all of a sudden, the fear is gone and the dread is gone. And that fear that we have of God is placed with replaced with this healthy respect for reverence it's, it's replaced instead of fear it's replaced with something that every time I think about it it makes me want to say thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you I mean I'm overwhelmed at God's generosity I'm overwhelmed at his grace his mercy his love his patience but look at the last part of verse 18 and I'm done this is the key there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. In other words, the reason we fear God is because we know we deserve to be punished. The reason we fear God is because we know, we know, we know it's just the way we're wired. You do something wrong, you pay the price. You do the crime, you do the time. We know that we should be paid back for what we've done. I mean, as you sit here this weekend or at our campuses, regardless of how you view God, you know in your heart you've sinned. You know you've messed up and screwed up and made a lot of mistakes. And you know in the big scheme of things you probably deserve to be punished, to be paid back. So of course there's fear. This is the unopened Christmas gift. 2,000 years ago, this is what God decided. I'm not going to pay back the human race. That's my decision. This is what God decided. I'm not going to give them what they deserve. Instead, I'm going to give them my son. And he'll take the penalty for their sin. And if you can just embrace that simple message, your fear of God will be replaced with peace. And when you worship, it'll come from your heart because you're just reminded over and over and over again of what he did to make this relationship possible. And when you get there, You'll know it's not anything you've done. All the glory goes to God. 
and you get the peace. Isn't that what you want? Do you imagine what the world would be like if people really had peace? The prophet said, people cry for peace. There is no peace. There won't ever be peace in the world. But there can be peace between you and God. And when there is, it'll change your life. You'll act differently. I promise you this. The young man that did what was so tragic yesterday, I promise you this, never would have happened if he would have had peace at God. Changes everything. Changes everything. Let's pray. I just, I want that kind of peace. And I'm not, I'm not sure you can just read it and get it and click. If, if you're like me, I kind of have a simple faith. But I have to remind myself every day, God, my relationship with you is not going to be driven by guilt and fear. Because I have peace. You're pleased with me. I don't get it, God. You know me, but you're pleased with me. And I'm just going to learn to dwell in your pleasure. And because I'm so overwhelmed, God, thank you. Thank you. Anything you want, you got. How can I say anything else? You saved me. You gave me peace. I don't need to fear you anymore. Father, help us. Uh, I don't know, maybe this doesn't seem much like a Christmas message, but uh, this is it. This is it. And if we could get it from our heads to our hearts, if we could get our arms wrapped around it, the guilt, the fear, the remorse would be gone because we would know that in our relationship, Father, you're pleased with us. We can come to you any time of the day or night and cry out, Daddy, Daddy. My prayer is that people find that peace this holiday season. And realize that it is as close as accepting what Jesus Christ did for them when he paid the price for our punishment. We thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.